Welcome to What's Up in Jeju, where I visit places around the island and talk about what's happening with Hashtag Daily K's host, Peter Bint. Was it last week that we did the history thing, the origin story of hmm. the people of Jeju? Yeah. Yeah, it was just last week. It feels like forever ago, huh? It does. Uh, but we're going along kind of history lines again yes. this week. Then. Yes, yes, yes. So for the past several weeks, actually, we've been taking some really deep dives into Jeju's history. Last week, like you mentioned, we went all the way back to the beginning of civilization on Jeju, the story of the birth of the mm. kingdom of Tamna, the mythological story, at least. Uh, and today we'll be yeah. continuing that journey, that timeline, I guess, by looking at another famous historic landmark on the island. But we're going to fast forward just a little bit to the next dynasty, the Koryo dynasty. Oh, okie dokie. The Koryo dynasty down in Jeju. Interesting stuff. So that's way before like the Joseon dynasty yes. and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to be looking at then? So the site that I visited is called the Hangpa Duri Hangmong Anti-Mongolian Historical Site. That's the official name. Oh, the Anti-Mongolian yeah. Historical Site. <laughs> yeah. Interesting because I remember we talked about, you know, some of the horses and the Mongol mm -hmm. tribes going yeah. down to Jeju and, and really liking the horses that were down there and maybe mixing them with some of their own. So they did have an influence down there, but it seems like it was a bit unwelcome. Right, right. So if you're looking at the uh, the image there, that's kind of the uh, entrance to the Hangpaduri mm -hmm. Fortress. Uh, it's actually a designated historic site, number 396 to be exact. It's located in Ewol <laughs> uh, which is on the northern side of the island, just west of like the main Jeju City. So if you're going west from the airport, you, you'll hit Ewol. Uh -huh. um, it's the last, actually, it's, this is so interesting. It's the last fortress of resistance to fall against the Mongol army. Ah, uh, when, they, when they were on Jeju Island. Right, right. So this was like the last battlefield uh, of the resistance or the fight against uh, being occupied by the Mongol army. I was able to interview wow. the commentator on site, Mr. Kang Yo-young. He was just a wealth of information. I'm not going to lie. I didn't understand a lot of what he said. <laughs> but it's just a lot of the terminology sometimes. It gets... it's. Difficult. Mm. Yeah. But let's, let's, yeah, to set up the story, just a little bit of the historical backdrop. In the year 1105, the ancient kingdom of Tamna loses its status as an independent land. And then about 100 years later, it's renamed Jeju, right? So, and this was during, uh -huh. I believe this was the Koryo. Yes, the Koryo dynasty. So, although sure. there are. Joseon. Right, right. Although, although there are a lot of historical sites and artifacts and records from the Joseon dynasty, right? Because it's, it's you know, closer in time, there really isn't mm. all that much in Jeju that's left over from the Koryo dynasty, like not a lot of tangibles compared to the Joseon dynasty. Oh. So in terms of number and size of archaeological history that has survived from the Koryo period, much of it in Jeju is attributed to a group called the Sambyeolcho. Have you heard of this group? Never. Never. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. <laughs> so before we talk about what the Hangpaduri Hangmung site is, we have to talk about who the Sambyeolcho were and how they came to be. So Sambyeolcho mm -hmm. literally means three elite patrols. And they were originally a military unit during the Koryo dynasty. So how do these guys come into the story? Well, I will tell you. 
<laughs> story time. Good. I'm, I can't wait, Angel. <laughs> In 1231, the Mongol Empire, right, starts its invasion into Korea. Over the next four decades, uh-huh. they invade Korea seven times. So there's a lot of fighting, a lot of killing, mm. and just a lot of, you know, just a lot of unrest. And the Mongol... Not a lot of nice stuff. Yeah, not a lot of nice stuff, really. The Mongol Empire (laughs) is able to gain some control over Korea, and and they just wanted the fighting to stop, right? They were just tired of it. So what they ended up doing, the Korea Mm. uh, government, was they eventually wanted a peace treaty, like like an alliance between between the two, Mm. right? However, some thought that the terms were unfair and unjust, the Sambyeolcho military unit was one of uh, them. Um, and before we get into the details, before we talk about it, I have a video of Mr. Kang telling us why. Why Sambyeolcho opposed the peace treaty? Okay, let's take a listen. Yeah, they don't want to give up the fight and not to some uh, people who they considered like heathens. So the Sambyeolcho considered uh. Koreans, Korean natives as like a learned people, Yangban, right? They they read, mm. they write, they're um, uh, very cerebral, right? Uh, they enjoy the arts. Um, but they viewed Mongols as heathens. Basically, they couldn't imagine any kind of scenario where they could cohabitate or be ruled by even what they considered an uncivilized society. Uh, because, you know, the, the the Mongols at the time, they lived their lives riding horses, they ate raw meat, and that was just frowned mm. upon, I guess, by the Koreans of that day. So they just couldn't do it. They couldn't. Yeah, yeah they didn't want to. Yeah, because I guess uh, this happens quite often where, you know, the people on the ground fighting the enemy and then the higher ups decide, OK, now we'll have a peace treaty. Mm-hmm. It's hard for the people who are fighting tooth and nail and have lost like comrades in the right. battles to say, OK, yeah, let's be friends mm-hmm. now. Yeah, um, it seems like a case of that interesting stuff. Yeah. So we're going to dive into the story a bit more. We're talking about the Sambyeol Cho yes. or that three elite patrols military unit. Yeah. So the Sambyeolcho military leads the rebellion. They don't want a peace treaty with the the Mongol Empire. So they were all kind mm. of at this point. Uh, I think the king included everybody was uh, located in Kanghua, Kanghua Island. Uh, that's where the Korean. Oh, not in Jeju. No, not in the beginning. So, so like when they were still kind of fighting against the Mongol Empire, they were all kind of hanging out at Kanghua Island. That's where they were hiding from mm. the Mongol army. So, and the Sambyeolcho, all the military was there with them. Uh, eventually, when the peace treaty took place, from my understanding, uh, they came out of Kanghua, but they wanted the Sambyeolcho wanted to keep up the resistance. They still wanted to continue fighting against 
the mm. Mongols. So what they did was they retreated down to Chindo. And I do believe Chindo is like a coastal city. Yeah. Right. And it's said that they left Kangwa Island on more than 1,000 chi- ships carrying both civilians and soldiers. So that's not a small wow. number. They weren't just this group of, crazy. you know, like just put together raggedy tag rebels. They were a real threat. Right. And they left wow. Kangwa to Jindo. And from what I know, they built a fortress there. I would love to see it, mm-hmm. by the way. I don't know if you've yeah. been there or seen it, Peter. I'm guessing, you know, a lot of even our more modern fortresses from the Joseon dynasty, they're not in their original shape anymore. Right. So surely mm-hmm. that can't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's where they camped out for a bit. Yeah, they did. They they were fighting from there. That was kind of their headquarters. But eventually they did get squeezed out because at this point now, the Korea and Mongol armies are unified, right? So they're a combined force uh-huh. against the Sambyeolcho. And even though the Sambyeolcho oh. at that point were still a large number, they were dwindling, you know, due to a lot of, um, I, I guess they were being killed off during battle or maybe sure. escaping. I don't know, maybe leaving. Who knows? But the numbers were mm. dwindling. They eventually got squeezed out of Chindo by the opposing armies, uh, and they fled from there down to Jeju. There was a guy, a famous guy, uh, named General Kim Tong-jung. Uh, yes, I said that right, Kim Tong-jung. He was the leader <laughs> of the yeah. Sambyeolcho when they came down to Jeju. When they did come down to Jeju, they landed on the north side. Uh, they wanted to stay on the north side because just strategically that was the best for them. They built a fortress in Ewar, the Hangpaduri fortress, and it, it, the fortress was just incredible, and some of it has survived to this day. Uh, I have a video of Mr. Kang, the commentator, telling us a little bit about it. Wow. So this is when they came down to Jeju, what they created. Let's take a look. Kim Tung-jung이라는 장군이 제주도 여기 와요. 음. 여기 와서 여기 저 밖으로 성이 있어요. 네. 토성. 네. 흙으로 산 성이 있어요. 음. 그걸 쌓고. 그 다음에 이 안에 여기 주위에 여기 돌성이 있잖아요. 네. 석성이라고 그래요. 네. 이 안에 관아. 관아라는 거는 거버넌트. 네. 빌딩 여기 음. 짓고. 지금 여기 막 파이나 있죠? 네. 거기 지금 발굴하고 있어요. 음. 지금 여기 돌들 하시게 있는 거는 기둥 세웠던 주축들이에요. 오. 집터에. 여기 하면서 여기에서 약 1271년도부터 73년도까지 2년 반 동안 대몽 항쟁을 하다가 진도에서 마찬가지로 여몽연합군에서 이 사람들이 좀 패망했어요. Wow, that's a huge like mm. fortress. Then that was built like a little village there. Yeah, they did. They did exactly that. They built a huge double-walled fortress. So the outer wall in length is about four kilometers in length, and then it's three meters high. On the inside, within the inner court, there was like a huge courtyard. There was a kwana. He said that's like the government office. There was housing for the wow. for the soldiers and the officers. All of that was located inside. So it was pretty pretty big. Yeah, amazing stuff to to decide to to come down there. I guess they had little choice. They're mm-hmm. being chased out of the actual peninsula. Uh, and then we've got a photo of what he described as like the the, the kind of earth or soil yeah. wall that they built. Yeah. So this picture is an image of the Tosong 
wall and I had no idea what it is. But I will tell you, I used to live just maybe seven minutes from here. And there's an Olay trail that uh-huh. goes uh, right through this area. And we used to walk it with the kids all the time right and i would see these huge walls that definitely didn't look natural right and it's just covered (laughs) by grass but it's it's very perfectly um shaped and it was just really tall so this i found out what it was it's called a tosang wall it's a it's inside you'll find like rocks and wood and stuff to kind of shape it and then they piled dirt on it eventually it grew grass but this was the wall it's it's actually really um it's it's really kind of magnificent. <laughs> I don't know what other word to call it, <laughs> but standing next to it, yeah. you feel so small. Amazing. So mm-hmm. that's one of those two layers of walls they had. Obviously, I think some stone wall that we're more used to seeing right. as well, but those embankments as well yeah. to, I guess, make an obstacle for anyone trying to invade or anything. Right. Definitely horses could not go through those very, very well. Um, but the interesting mm. thing that uh, that Mr. Kang was ta- talking about was obviously you're a military, you're military, you want to be strategically placed. And this place, apparently it was like the perfect they couldn't have chosen a better place. It has it's up on the mountain. So it's up on the on Odom, right, which is a volcanic cone. Mm. So you have a the, a huge like panoramic view of the northern side of the island so you can see anything that comes in right um and then it's also protected by streams to the east and to the west right so i mean wow. it was yeah I, I had no idea of any of this i used to live there so it's kind of embarrassing <laughs> but it's really cool <laughs> But I don't think you move there for the same reasons as yeah. the Sambiochor, <laughs> yeah. uh, right? You weren't going to get attacked. But they, I guess, were bracing themselves mm. for being invaded rather than uh, perhaps saying, we're going to be here for a little while and then go back to the peninsula. They knew perhaps that they were going to get chased. Yeah, absolutely. And the the Kodia the and the Mongol armies really didn't hesitate for too long. They went after the Sambiochor with of vengeance. The joint assault on the Sambiochu and Jeju began just a few years afterwards. They say over 12,000 troops from the combined uh, armies landed on the island to attack the Sambiochu. I don't know, I can't oh, remember wow. how many were left of the Sambiochu, but it was not even close to that number. Um, and they were, of oh. course, uh, successful, the uh, Korea and the Mongol Empire were. At the end of the battle to crush the rebellion, it's said that not a single Sambiochu soldier remained. Everyone perished. Oh goodness! Yeah. Where's the happy ending to no this? No happy angel? ending. Where's like the heroic Braveheart yeah. Mel Gibson character? Oh, oh dear. Mm-hmm. Um. So wow, that's really tough because the Sambiochu are like part of the Kordia people, yes, right? Yes. But then the government decides we're having a treaty. They join forces with the enemy mm-hmm. and then kill them all. Yep. Yeah, really sad. (laughs) That's leaving me very conflicted, isn't it? And, you know, we talked about the history of Jeju Island, and it seems like this is another maybe painful part of it, with the Mm -hmm. Sambiocho getting exterminated there as well. Yeah, the Sambiocho actually, uh, they weren't a part of the Jeju people. What happened was in the beginning, mm. they got the Jeju people, the Jeju civilians to help them build the fortress. I mean, they couldn't do it by themselves. They needed manpower. Uh, the Jeju residents, no. the natives were all for it. They were, you know, gung-ho about helping the resistance, but ended up, you know how it wow. turns out, they ended up uh, oppressing the people. <laughs> and that just turned really bad. 
Well, this is a very complicated story. <laughs> yeah, I'm is. not sure which side I need to be on. <laughs> very conflicting emotions. Uh, interesting stuff. And many of our listeners uh, seemingly war experts, knowing that if you're trying to get up the uh, steep incline of those kind of soil walls, mm. it would make for a really tough slog. Uh, and you'd probably get beaten. Although it wasn't enough, it seems, for mm. the... Um, I've forgotten what they've called now. The Sambiocho? Yes. Is it? There mm-hmm. we go. Three elite patrols. Um, yeah, wow. So they were all slaughtered. So it's just... That's it. Yep. Game over. That was it. That was game over. And then the uh, the Mongol Empire took over the island from that point on. But this site, the Hangpaduri uh, fortress site, was the site of Korea's last stand against the Mongol uh, Empire in the in mm. the entire peninsula. So it's considered yeah. a symbol of heroic patriotism. So what the Korean government did was they allocated a whopping 745 million won for the fortress's renovation. This was back in 1977. And then during the restoration wow. and renovation process, lots of stuff was unearthed from that period. And remember, this is a Korea period, so it's a long, long time ago. And I found yeah. what Mr. Kang said really fascinating. I had never uh, thought of this. Um, before, so well, yeah, have a listen. Okay, so he's taking us inside now. Let's see what he's talking about. Wow, mm. that in that glass case is from way back when. Yes, isn't that so cool? So while they wow. were uh, restoring the Hangpaduri Fortress, exca- excavations mm. unearthed like roof tiles, celadon uh, shards. They found like small iron plates that were put together like fish scales for the armor, right? Mm. Lots of cool stuff. Wow. But what Mr. King was showing me in the video there um, is is a wooden trough for feeding and watering horses that survived from that time. And he wow. said it's estimated to be about 800 to 1200 years old. Hey. That's a long, I mean, can you imagine? Oh my gosh, it's just so cool. Yeah, and how's it still intact like that? Yeah, yeah right, really cool. So. I don't know why, but I really geek out about this kind of stuff. It may not seem like a big deal, <laughs> but the reason why this is significant is because Jeju never had the tools and they never had the skills to make anything like this, right? They just didn't, mm. they didn't have the ability to do it. So the tools and the technique and the skills that this Hanbyeolcho brought with them and taught to the Jeju people were completely foreign. It was like alien technology, 
right? So the Sambyeokju, wow. they came down to escape and to hide out from the Mongol army and to put up the resistance, put up the fight. But what they ended up doing was they really taught the Jeju people skills like carpentry. They taught them agricultural skills, better ways of farming. Um, and they what yeah. they just ended up bringing all this advanced tech down from the mainland to Jeju, right? And it's just, I guess if you're looking for a little bright spot in all of this, maybe this? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it wasn't their charitable nature that had done mm. that, but it was a brilliant side effect, right. I guess, for the Jeju people, yeah. for them to like upgrade all their skills. I think he was mentioning maybe even the clothing was different right. and everything like that. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah, if only they hadn't oppressed the local people, it might have been a nicer story. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, still, that's fabulous. What's Up in Jeju is supported by JDC, which is creating a free international city that resembles nature, embraces the future, and reaches the world. Arirang Radio.